Well, as we just sang, I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to ask you, who do you think of when you think about a physical worker? Somebody that personifies to you hard work. Now, that's somebody who knows how to work. Uh, For me, I probably think about the farm. I think about my granddad, and I think about him working the farm through all of those years. I saw him work. I worked beside him through the years, and really, that's one of the places where I learned my work ethic. And though most of my work now is more mentally and emotionally draining than it is physically, that idea of being able to work uh, is something that is vital for us as Christians. All of us who have good hearts should have that very desire that we all sing. Um, And that's part of why I wanted us to sing that song beforehand. Obviously, it goes with the lesson. But I wanted you to express that from your own lips, from your own mouth, from your own heart. Do you want to be a worker for the Lord? I know that you do. But what does it take to be a worker for the Lord? Well, turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read verse 58 together. In fact, that will provide the outline for the lesson this evening. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... What a wonderful way to refer to a group of people. My loved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So after a long and in some places difficult to interpret chapter on the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection, Paul makes a simple straightforward, and short application. But this one verse is powerful for all of us who want to be a worker for the Lord. It is simple and straightforward, but it is vitally important if we want to be the workers that God calls us to be and the workers that we desire to be. So what I'd like for you to do is just notice with me, again, very simply, five really easy and simple things from this one verse about the worker for the Lord. And the first thing that we see in this verse is that the worker for the Lord is stable, is solid, steadfast, immovable is the way Paul describes them. And that means, first of all, that if you're a worker for the Lord, you cannot be easily influenced by false teachers, by false teaching, by wrong thinking and wrong ideas. And that's the context here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that there were some Christians who were being influenced in this very way. Notice just a few verses with me from earlier in the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, let's go back to verse 1 of this chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 1, and let's read a few verses together. This is the issue that Paul is addressing that leads to his application that we just read in verse 58. He says, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which, I also, which you also received, and which, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. So hold fast, that's steadfast, immovable. Well, what did he preach to them? Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and then by the Twelve, and that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 
And after that, he was seen by James and then all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, one born out of due season. Um, my, uh, my dad's youngest brother was born 13 years after all of the other kids and six kids in the family. And so that's the way they always refer to him, the brother born out of due season. The idea is he comes later than everybody else, right? Uh, oopsie-daisy is the way we sometimes refer to those babies today, right? Well, Paul says, I came after everybody else, but I saw the Lord just like the other apostles. Uh, and so he says, this is what I declared to you. And this is what was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures was going to happen. This is the foundation of your faith. And so in verse 12, he then says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is foundational and fundamental. There has to be a resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. And he goes on to say, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Your faith is futile and we're still in our sins and all of these terrible consequences. So if we drop down to verse 33, he says this in regard to those who are teaching this false doctrine. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good morals. The idea is this kind of evil company with false teachers can, can cause you to not think the way you should. Awake to righteousness, verse 34, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There are some, and we know people like this, who are always unsure, always questioning, always doubting. Well, maybe that sounds like you. I know that sounds like me about some things in Scripture. There are some things that I'm unsure about. There are some things that I question. There are some things that I doubt, not in the terms of a lack of faith, but I doubt whether I understand these things correctly, right? I think we all have felt that way at some point or another, but the kind of steadfast, immovable understanding and faith, the solidity and stability that Paul refers to here is about the fundamentals of Christian faith, like Christ's resurrection. And if we think about someone who is having to learn and relearn the elementary principles of faith over and over, that kind of person is going to have a really hard time working. And even if they have great talents and great abilities and their personality is fit for the work that needs to be done, if they are constantly hung up on the fundamentals of Christian faith, then they're never going to be able to work as God intends for them to work. They just don't have the stability in order to make that happen. Now, I think we see that from a physical standpoint. Um, no matter how big and strong you are, you can be knocked off balance if you're not rooted and grounded and ready when the time comes. Uh, we got a lot of our folks in Louisiana dropping kids off at camp, and then uh, here in a couple of weeks, Stephanie and I are off to camp in Tennessee like we do every year. And one of the events that we have, the, one of the big events at camp every year is the big tug of war. And so in preparation for that, when we get our team together, something I always do is I try and find like the biggest, strongest, burliest boy on the entire team, and I say, hey, you come up here for just a second. Uh, think Jacob Thornton, all right? I think he was called Thor by some visitors uh, the other day. So Thor comes up, right? 
And then I find somebody else, a, a smaller guy, and not the smallest guy on the entire team, but a smaller guy, and I give him a piece of rope. And I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Thor is just going to stand there like this, and everybody says, oh, he's big, he's strong, so forth. Maybe I even ask him ahead of time, who do you think is going to win between these two? Oh, it's absolutely going to be this big guy. But he has to just stand here like this, and then the other kid, I say, I want you to get down. I want you to pull low like this. And what do you think happens every single year? That big old kid just topples right over because he's not stable. Yeah, he's suited for tug of war. He has all of the natural talents and abilities you could possibly ask for. But because he is not steadfast, he is absolutely movable. And so, too, when we think about the work that we need to do for the Lord, this is where it has to start. It has to start with our basic understanding of the truth of God's Word. And again, that's not that we know everything or that we don't have questions about lots of things in the Scripture. But as my granddad, the same one who was a farmer, used to always say, we can't be so open-minded that our brains fall out. We need to have some commitment to the basic truths of what God has taught. And without that, we're not going to be able to work. And obviously that starts with false doctrine, but it also includes not being easily influenced by distractions or discouragement or sin or whatever else might knock us off balance where we are no longer stable. Even persecutions, adversaries, lack of visible results for our work or personal shortcomings do not move us from what we know and what we know we must do if we are steadfast and immovable in our faith and in our commitment. So, the worker of the Lord is, first of all, stable, steadfast, and immovable. Secondly, the worker of the Lord is always working, our text says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, and this concept is something that we see throughout the Scriptures, but especially in the New Testament. This idea of continual action, it's the uh, perfect tense in Greek. It's something that I'm doing now and something that I am going to continue to do. You see that all over the Bible, especially in the book of Acts. But I want to just show that this is something that we see with lots of people that we try and imitate in regard to the way we work. Who is the person we're imitating the most when it comes to our work? Well, Jesus, of course. And what do we know about Jesus in John 9 and verse 4? He says, We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. When Jesus was here, He was always working. Now, don't misunderstand that. Don't think for, that means, well, there's no time to rest. There's no time to recover. The idea is that we don't stop working, that we continue to work. And we see this not just with Jesus, of course, but with the apostles. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, though they had had some, some, some trouble with the ruling authorities, they had had some uh, barriers to their work, some obstacles in their work. What does it say in verse 42? And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that that the Christ is Jesus. They did not cease. That's the idea, that we're not stopping in our work, but that we're always working. Well, that's Jesus and the apostles, but what about just everyday Christians like you and me? Well, we think about the disciples from the early church. How are they described? Right here at the beginning of the church. Brand new baby Christians, Acts 2.42 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It says that they continued steadfastly. They didn't stop. They continued in this work. Uh, Turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we see this with Paul as well. To give you a specific example of a specific person, the person who is writing this in 1 Corinthians 15, notice what Paul says. And maybe you're not a brand new baby Christian tonight. Maybe you've been Christians for years. You've been a Christian for years and years and years. If that's the case, you're more like what we see with Paul here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, that is, laid hold of it. Um, That idea of, of actually caught the thing that you're chasing after. He says, I haven't caught the thing that I'm chasing. I haven't apprehended it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that's Paul. So how does that apply to us? Verse 15. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. This is the mind and attitude of the one who wants to be a worker for the Lord. And whether you're 17 or 70, that should be all of our attitudes, that I want to always be working. I don't want to stop in the work that I am doing for the Lord. Maybe our greatest need as faithful Christians is for persistence, perseverance, and patience. Just keep working. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't retire in your service to the Lord. Uh, This is the famous uh, Aesop parable, uh, fable of the tortoise and the hare, isn't it? the one who has a great burst of energy but then lays by the side of the road is almost always going to be beaten by the one who in a slow and steady way continues to always work. And Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint for most of us. Just keep running the race until the finish line and you will be amazed at how well you finish. So the worker for the Lord is stable, steadfast, immovable, is always working but doing whose work? Well, the worker of the Lord, number three, is does the Lord's work. I want you to imagine that you're working for someone, and for most of us, that's not hard to imagine. And if we do work for someone, but it's not the work they asked us, or even worse, the work that they instructed us, commanded us to do, how does that usually work out for us? For example, if your boss said, hey, I've got a report and this has to be done and I want it done by this date at 5 o'clock and the day comes around and they come by your office and say, hey, are you going to have that report ready at 5 o'clock? I have to have it ready at 5 o'clock. And you go and you clean the conference room instead. And so your boss comes in at 5 o'clock and says, where's the report? Oh, I've got something to show you. Come with me, you know. And you go in there and you open it up and say, hey, what do you think? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? He might say, yeah, it looks good, but that's not what I ask you to do. Is he going to be pleased with that? 
And I think sometimes we fall into that same trap in all sorts of scenarios. Uh, Stephanie is not here this evening, so uh, congratulations, you get to hear lots of good stuff tonight. No. Uh, This was a couple of weeks ago. I was intent on fertilizing the yard. I needed to get that done. There was a rain coming. I needed to get it done before it rained. Uh, And so I got up on a Saturday morning. I thought it was going to be something that was really, really quick. Stephanie had a long list of things that she really wanted me to get done on that Saturday, but I thought, I'll get out there and I'll get this done. Well, I'd left the bags of fertilizer in plastic in the back of my truck. Uh, And I thought, they're in plastic. Well, it rained a couple times, but no big deal. They're in plastic, right? And I go and I pour it in the spreader, and some of it is just like tar. And it took me forever to get all that fertilizer out on the yard. And I come in. And we had somewhere we had to be, and I didn't get anything done that Stephanie needed for me, wanted for me to get done. Do you think she just praised me and said, oh, baby, I'm just so glad you got that fertilizer out? That is just wonderful. You worked so hard. Well, I did. I worked hard that morning. I got up way earlier than I wanted to. I had all of these obstacles in the work that I was trying to get done, and I got it done. But she was not pleased. She was not happy with that, nor should she be. Isn't there application to be made spiritually? Not all work done in religion is really God's work. And not all work done for Christ is the Lord's work. If we're going to be workers for the Lord, we have to do the Lord's work, the work that He desires for us to do. And God is not honored when our work is not His. When our work is without scriptural authority or direction from Him. When God says, this is what I want you to do, and we say, well, I think this would be just as good or this would be better, we leave ourselves in a very dangerous position. Are we really doing the Lord's work or are we doing what we think the Lord's work ought to be? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, um, we're going to study this verse in greater detail in a few weeks, but it says in whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That that should be our attitude. Whatever I do, in word or in deed, I want to do it by the authority of Jesus Christ in His name. And we should be seeking to find what God wants us to do. Asking that vitally important question, does this please God? Is this really about God or is it about me? and then doing those things that we can point to in our Bibles and say, this is the Lord's work, and He will be pleased with the work we are doing. So the worker of the Lord is stable, is always working, doing the Lord's work. But it's not just doing the Lord's work. The word that is actually used there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this idea that we are abounding in the Lord's work. The worker of the Lord abounds in the Lord's work. And the message here, I think, is for all of us workers who would just try and get by. Have you ever worked with somebody like that? Have you ever worked with, maybe, maybe you are that person, I don't know, but uh, you know, the person who is always leaning on the shovel, the person who's a lot of times talk, talk, talking, not work, work, working, the person who gets as much credit as anybody else, but they are just doing the bare minimum. And when the boss works by, boy, they work. When the boss is missing, they do as little as physically possible without, you know, getting fired, without getting caught. We can't be that way if we want to be the Lord's workers. 
The Lord sees and the Lord knows and the Lord knows what's in our heart. And so our desire should be that I don't want to just do enough to get by in the Lord's kingdom. You know, tell me the bare minimum I have to do to avoid hell and go to heaven. Our attitude should be that I want to abound in this work. How can I fulfill my spiritual potential and do all that God has called me to do? And I know that in all likelihood I'm going to fall short of that. But even falling short, if I have that attitude, I'm still going to be abounding in this work. And it's not just a matter of, well, I've got to work and I've got to work hard. All of this is motivated by God's grace. Abounding grace from God deserves and demands abounding works from us in response. In gratitude for what He has done, my response should be, well, He has abounded in what He's given. I should abound in what I give back in return in my work. Uh, Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll look at a few verses there. I think make this point so vividly. First the concept and then an example from first Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians, excuse me. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Start reading there in verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully with blessings will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So verse 7 speaks specifically about this Uh, collection for needy saints in Jerusalem, but verse 8 speaks more broadly of all of the work that we can do. God makes all grace abound toward us to accomplish the things that He desires for us to accomplish in our lives. And so if we have that sufficiency, then we should have an abundance in the work that we are doing. And there's a really great example of this right here in the same context. Go back just one chapter to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Again, specifically, the work that is being done here is is collecting money to give to needy saints uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea. And in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. The churches in Macedonia, we think about Philippi and Thessalonica, those churches were an example to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth had a lot more money. The church in Corinth had a lot more spiritual gifts, apparently, if, we read the, uh, if I'm reading this book correctly. And yet out of their poverty, the churches in Macedonia abounded in the work that they were doing. And what an example for all of us to do the most that we can do in service to the Lord. They jumped at the opportunity to abound in this work even beyond their ability. 
And that should be our attitude in regard to the Lord's work as well. And then finally, the fifth thing, the worker of the Lord is stable, is always working, does the Lord's work, abounds in the Lord's work, and does not work in vain. Unfortunately, uh, the Scriptures indicate that there is much religious work that will be done, that has been done, that will be done until the Lord comes again, that ultimately will be in vain. It's work, maybe even work for the Lord in one sense or another, and yet ultimately it doesn't accomplish anything for Him or for the one who is doing that work. What kind of work is in vain? Well, that which is done in the wrong way, or even worse in some ways, is done from the wrong motives. You turn to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Turn over to Matthew. We'll look at a couple of verses from Matthew as we think about this and the things Jesus taught. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's verse 3, or that's point 3 on our sermon list, isn't it? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That kind of work, though it's supposedly in the name of the Lord, is ultimately in vain because they are practicing lawlessness. So it's vain when we do things in the wrong way or even worse with the wrong motives. It's in vain if, if we quit. Uh, and that goes back to uh, number two on our list, doesn't it? Galatians chapter 6 and verses 9 through 10 says, "...and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap." If we do not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. No work, no matter how small, is in vain if it is the Lord's work. And I think a great uh, illustration of this is in Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 and 40 through 42. In speaking to the disciples, Jesus says, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Raise your hand if you're a prophet. Well, not all of us are prophets. None of us in here are prophets. But all of us can receive a prophet's reward. All of us can receive a reward from the Lord. Our work will not be in vain if we are willing to work. And even the smallest acts of kindness to the most insignificant of people is prized and valued by God. These little ones that he describes here, we might just call those the spiritual nobodies. These are just 
everyday humble Christians. They're not prophets. They're not somebody who's put on a pedestal as a, a righteous man. And a cup of cold water, he even calls it only a cup of cold water, that's a small gift. It's a small deed, isn't it? But it still shows thoughtfulness. It still shows service. Notice that it's a cup of cold water, not hot water. Some thought was put into that to give something, somebody something that would quench their thirst. And it is something that is given. It's not just made available. Hey, there's some water in there if you want it. A cup of cold water, just only a cup of cold water is given. And it's given to one of these little ones who are unimportant. But God notices that. And God sees that. And the worker for the Lord, if we're doing His work and His way to the best of our abilities, no matter how small it is, the Lord notices. And it is not in vain. The worker of the Lord does not work in vain for all those reasons. But in the context of what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you want to turn back there, the main way that he is using that concept of it not being in vain, our work is not in vain if Jesus is risen. And that's the biggest point in the context. If Jesus is not risen, then all the work that we might do in the name of Christ, all of the work that we might do as Christians, it is in vain. It amounts to nothing in the end. But friend, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And so our work is not in vain. I want you to drop back to verse 51 of the same chapter. Let's read these verses together and the lesson will be yours. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. Behold, look, pay attention. I tell you a mystery, something that was once hidden but is now revealed. We shall not all sleep, we're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet when the Lord comes again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this physical body must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That just as He rose from the dead, there is a great resurrection day coming where all of our work will no longer be in vain, but will be rewarded through Him and through His sacrifice. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, fellow worker, what can you do? What will you do in the Lord's service this week, this year, this life? Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 
Remember the song that we sing, I want to be a worker for the Lord and work as God has called us to work. Not because we're somehow going to earn our way into heaven, but because we love our Master and we desire to work for Him so that someday we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, the one who is working for Him. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, that means that you don't have that kind of relationship with the Lord, at least not yet. But you can have it even this evening if you'll come and put Christ on in baptism to rise to walk in newness of life, being able to fulfill the work that He has planned for you. And if you're already a Christian and you realize you've not been working like you should, it is not too late because God has given us more time to work in His kingdom. I know you want to be a worker. I want to be a worker. So let's get to the work God has prepared for us. We are His workmanship, Ephesians says, created in Christ Jesus. Recreated when we become a Christian for what? For good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I appreciate your good work. And may God be with us that our labor may not be in vain. And if we can help you even this evening, come now while together we stand and while we sing. Have you been to...